when a manager is doing a performance appraisal, all their notes from the one-on-ones, they form the basis of it. So no one's surprised. Everyone's prepared. Everyone has the information. This more real-time feedback, this more real-time learning, we know that learning organization is essential to deal with crises and problems in the external environment. One-on-ones are an ex- is another expression of that learning culture. And so the more we have them, we're promoting individual learning and growth, which just fits beautifully into organizational learning and growth. Welcome to the Leading Transformational Change Podcast. Our passion is to help you lead and develop organizations with a remarkably healthy culture that can positively impact all of its stakeholders. Every other Thursday, we drop hour-long conversations with world-leading researchers and experts on culture, ethics, change, and leadership. My name is Tobias Sturluson, and I'm your host and the co-founder of Art Management. Whenever we support an organization in culture change and integrating leadership habits that can sustain a healthy culture, we'll encounter the need to rethink rituals. Every organization has rituals, routines and actions that reinforce a company's cultural beliefs, values and identity, fostering a sense of cohesion and shared experience among its team members. Chief among them are our meetings, executive meetings, team meetings, or one-on-ones, or the host of other meetings that organizations have. We've found that leaders will be much more successful with changing culture or making values come alive by integrating them into their regular meetings than by building an implementation plan with a set of consultant or HR-led culture workshops that only happen once. So today, I'm super excited to bring you, as the last episode of this season, a conversation with Steven Rogelberg. Steven is a professor of organizational science, management, and psychology at the University of North Carolina. He's seen as the world's leading expert on meetings, and best-selling author and professor Adam Grant writes that Steven knows more about how to improve meetings than anyone on earth. Stephen is the author of The Surprising Science of Meetings and his upcoming book, Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One Meetings is available for pre-order now. And that's where we'll spend most of the time in this conversation because one-on-one meetings are just so incredibly critical to building and sustaining a healthy culture. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being part of this movement to see a world where organizations with healthy cultures become the norm and not the exception. Just over the last few weeks, I've been in contact with several listeners who have shared what you've been learning from the podcast and the free PDF guide that we made available on heartmanagement.org slash guide and what impact it has had on your organizations globally. We don't take the honor and the responsibility of your time and your trust lightly. And we really hope that this podcast can keep on being a great service to you in the new year. But before we end off this year, I wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas. I was recently listening to a classical Swedish Christmas song first published in 1924. 
While there's no official English translation available, the second verse goes something like this. Come, come, blessed Christmas. Wrap your white wings around the blood and turmoil of war, around all the people's sighs, around all the families who traveled to peace, around the youth's daily lives. Come, come, blessed Christmas. Bring your white wings down. I think that is a hope and, and prayer as good as any as we witness the suffering in so many parts of our deeply broken world. So on behalf of our team, I want to wish you and, and your loved ones a peaceful Christmas and great end of this year. But now let's jump into my conversation with Steven Rogelberg. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So we don't have that much time and we have a lot of ground to cover. So I'm going to jump straight into it. You've written in an Harvard Business Review article on a great article on one-to-one -one meetings and or one-on-one -on -one meetings. And you write that my research shows that managers who don't invest in such conversations, who view them as a burden, hold them too infrequently or manage them poorly, risk leaving their team members disconnected both functionally and emotionally. And that the best managers recognize that one-on-ones are not an add-on to the role, but foundational to it. So, Stephen, why are one-on-ones so important? Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, one-on-ones are the core of leadership. I mean, this is what really motivated me to write the book, um, Glad We Met, The Art and Science of One-on-One because there was not a strong treatment around the importance of these activities. And these activities are essential for a host of reasons. First of all, they directly tie to employee thriving, right? One-on-ones are that opportunity to engage, support, help remove obstacles to the success of people who work. You know, at the same time, as your employees thrive, it's only a good reflection on you as the manager. And in so many ways, your success is dependent on the success of those who work for you. So we have employee thriving, we have managerial thriving. One-on-ones are also critical to team success. There's a good linkage between successful use of one-on-ones and teams performing more optimally. You know, it's a critical piece to your culture conversations, right? In so many ways. One-on-ones is where leadership comes to life. You see your leader, you see their values in action. So the cascading impact of really good one-on-ones is deep and touches so many parts of organizational and personal success. That's super helpful, Stephen. So if I would ask you to kind of in, in one sentence, if you would write kind of the, the one sentence purpose or objective of one-on-one -on -one meetings, what would you say that it is? Well, one sentence, that's just kind of mean. Like, you know, I literally just wrote a full book. So I'll probably give you two sentences. You know, one-on-ones are meetings for the direct, facilitated and orchestrated by the manager. But it's truly for the direct. You know, it's where the direct report can be seen. We're all braving contact, personal support. And these one-on-ones are just that opportunity to truly be seen by your manager, to have your needs communicated so that hopefully they can be addressed in some way. Yeah, that's how I'd probably summarize it. And so, so I'm, I'm just thinking based on your writings and also thinking about, I mean, when, when we think about building 
healthy and strong cultures. I mean, it's about removing obstacles. It's about helping development. It's about creating cohesion. It's about, like you said, communicating values. Yeah, that's exactly right. Think about the leader who doesn't do one-on-one. What that leader is accidentally communicating to their people, right? If you're not doing a one-on-one, if you're not having this dedicated time to better understand your people, then you might say that you care about others as a core value, but you're not, not acting on it. So these one-on-ones are a signal. It's actually a signal of what's truly important to you. You know, the alternative title of my book that I considered was the one meeting that should never be an email. And because it is, I mean, this is just the essence of leadership and it's not a negotiable. Doing it right, really focusing on the other person is core for them to see who you really are. That's super, super helpful, Stephen. That's super, super helpful, Stephen. So then I'm thinking that we probably have managers listening or or HR leaders listening or ethics leaders who have heard the reasoning or or have felt that, oh, but I, I don't feel like I have the time or I just feel like it, it's not helpful. And, and I think and we're, we're going to address that, but I think we'll really try to break down into. So how do we then make them really valuable to the individual, to the manager, to the organization. So the first thing I wanted to ask about is because, of course, just because we have a conversation doesn't mean that valuable things will be said. And I think an important part is that of that is creating the psychologically safe environment for for the person to really be able to share openly and honestly and, and vulnerably what they're needing, what they're seeing, what they're learning, what they're challenged by and so on. What should leaders think about? That was a great description, by the way. I love how you said that. This is a small investment of time, but it yields so many positives and so many gains that the investment pays off. In the book, I actually have a chapter that talks about how to cut other activities to give you more time that aren't as critical. And because this is just, this is one of those things that you do need to make time. If you think about the old adage that people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. And right, there's quite a bit of truth in there. And, you know, especially, you know, as people work in more distributed fashions, having this predictable and regular time for you with your manager is just so essential to employee experience. But I also want to say that it can save time. It can truly save time. It saves time, A, that what generally seems to happen is employees save their issues for these predictable one-on-ones as opposed to interrupting you as much throughout the week. Furthermore, when one-on-ones are conducted effectively, they're actually decreasing the need for rework because people are more aligned, they're focused, they're getting help in much more real time, they're getting the support they need. So they are getting more stuff done, which will ultimately save you time. It's a small investment, but it is an investment. And the key is doing it at this regular cadence. And, you know, the research generally supports doing these to get to realize the most gains every week or every other week. And the time matters less. So even if you dedicate just 20 minutes, if it's every week or 35, 40 minutes, if it's every other week, it still works. It still seems to get those gains. But you're also, I love how you described a conversation doesn't mean it's going to be a good conversation. And I think that's a really good point you made. You know, in general, one-on-ones are designed to meet the practical and personal needs of the direct. 
So the practical are those tactical things, those tactical issues and problems that they might be facing. But they also have personal needs, right? The need to feel respected and trusted and cared about. Those needs are met by the process the manager has. Most notably, listening, truly listening, constantly saying, help me understand. What can I do? How can I help? So clarifying, like all these things are not about you saving the employee, but just encouraging them to talk, express themselves, and ideally save themselves, right? Because that's how we create a culture of resilience, a culture of being nimble, right? So these conversations, when they bring up an issue, good managers say, so what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the best ways of addressing this? And then related to that, when employees share their ideas, if the idea doesn't match your initial thoughts exactly, doesn't necessarily mean that you need to intervene, right? What you want to assess is whether there's a big and meaningful gap between their ideas and yours. If there's not a big and meaningful gap, let it go. Go with theirs. You don't know for sure you're right. You might be right, but you might not be. But more importantly, when an employee's idea gets privileged, they're going to be much more committed to it. And if it doesn't work out, you can always talk about it. That's totally fine. So pick your battles wisely. So all these things help create a process that energizes. And I'm going to give you one other example that ties to this. You know, one of the things that we found in our research was these one-on-ones should have a lightweight agenda. That when you have a lightweight plan of action, it just creates some additional focus. However, the research shows that these lightweight plans by far work best when the employee themselves is driving. Either they're providing the plan or they're doing it with the manager together, but their voice needs to drive it. And that is one of those key signals that this is not your typical meeting. This is a meeting for you. This is that one predictable time in a week or every other week where you know the spotlight is on you. Love that. Love that, Stephen. So so super great. What are some things that you think should be on the agenda or, or kind of questions that are good to be asking? Thank you. So basically, there are a number of ways of creating agenda. Let me share with you a couple. One is the listing approach, where the employee is to- told, asked to create a list of things they'd like to talk about. But the manager encourages them to create a wide list, not just the fires not just the immediate problems, but encourage them to think small, big, short-term, long-term, think personal, think team, think organization. Get them to think broadly on all the things that impact their experience. Then they create a list. The manager also creates a list. And then they come together in the meeting. Now, the employee list dominates. The manager list can be inserted at natural points as the employee is talking. But other than that, it's at the end. Right. Because, again, that's an important signal that this meeting is not for the manager. The manager can meet with employees, their employees anytime they want. They have the power. So this is something different. So the listing approach is one strategy. Then there's a core question approach, you know, where the leader and the direct come up with a a set of four or five key questions that they will ask in these one on ones. Questions such as what are the biggest challenges you're having? What's keeping you from feeling engaged and thriving on the job? So you can come up with a set of core questions and the core questions form the outline for the conversation, but clearly the employee is driving the conversation because they're answering the question. Now, in both of these strategies, however, it's really important not to fall into what we found in the research is called the status update trap. Right? These meetings are not about just monitoring work. 
That will probably happen naturally, but that's just not the goal. The goal is not for the manager to say, okay, what are you working on? When are you going to get this done, right? That's not the goal. That's not an energizing type of an experience. That's an experience being the manager. So we want to make sure that we are intentional with weaving in a host of different issues, that we weave in long-term issues. Some managers have had success dedicating five to 10 minutes of every one-on-one for a longer horizon issue, or dedicate one out of every four meetings to a longer horizon issue. So you construct this agenda, you construct your topics, but you also need to think carefully about not just the questions you ask, but the response choices you give the employee. And I want to give you an example of this because I think this is really intriguing. A very common question that people ask is, how are you? Right? That sounds like a reasonable question. How are you? Well, that just triggers automatic response. I'm fine. Good. Pretty good. Right? There's no thought that takes place, but there is a twist on this. So if the manager says, I want you to, to reflect on all things going on for you, both in and out of work, and I want to know how, how you're doing, but answer that on a 10-point scale, with one being horrible, 10 being fantastic. How are you? When you do that, you get responses of fives and sixes and sevens, and now you have something to work with, right? Now you can sell, say, you know, tell me more. What's keeping you from being a 10, right? So thinking carefully about questions, thinking carefully about the response choices, and then making sure that you ask good follow-up questions to truly understand the why. Super, super helpful. I'm, I'm thinking also in terms of, of me as a leader in this meeting, and, and we talk about this and a key practice to build a healthy culture is, is to get listening, or you call it a habit to get listening and the practice of soliciting feedback and also asking, so how, how can I as a leader improve to support you? And, and why, where do you see, perhaps, for example, where, where do you see tensions in how we as an organization live our values, where we say one thing or where I say one thing, but I'm actually acting in a different way? These type of soliciting feedback questions, is that something that, that also has a room in one-on-one meetings? Or how do you look at that? Yeah, so one of the chapters in the book what I, one of the things I do, which I think is, was really a neat exercise, is we went through a host of organizational value statements. And if you study these organizational value statements, and we did it across a whole bunch of major companies, and basically you find values that just completely align what the hope is with a one-on-one. And so one-on-ones, unlike so many other things we do at work, are just these direct expressions of these values of elevating people. And so it is a strong cultural signal. Now, unfortunately, people often, when they're busy, when there's a bunch of stuff going on, they don't always act in accordance with their values. And I'll give you an example. So one problem that occurs with one-on-ones is the manager canceling. And think about that for a moment. Think about what that signals to your employee, right? You're busy. And what you decide to cancel is that one time where you're completely focused on that other person. So that cancellation suggests that, yeah, you say people are important, but when it comes down to it, you choose something else. So the better strategy is if you have to cancel a meeting, because, you know, stuff always comes up, move it closer, right? So try to get that one-on-one earlier, not later. And even if that earlier one-on-one is half as much time, right? Even if you only can find 10 minutes one particular week, that is a really strong cultural message. 
a really interesting exercise is the disconnect between people, what they say is important and what they actually do. One of the things that we, you know, I do in the book is just kind of really lay out conflict that seems to happen. So if you really believe X, well, what does that look like? What does that look like day to day? And I also kind of lay out that argument that by not doing certain things, you're actually expressing a set of values as well, but you're expressing a set of cultural values that are not productive or helpful. So, so I'm, I'm listening and I'm hearing what my employee is saying, and I see perhaps a, a need to give feedback to that person. What do you see as the role of a manager giving feedback in a one-on-one meeting? That is a common thing to happen. An employee might ask for a particular feedback on something, or it might be a natural opportunity that arises where you could provide some critical feedback. People crave feedback. And counter to generational stereotypes, it's not just the young people. Older people want feedback as well. In fact, what we found in our research is that more senior leaders actually desired more one-on-ones than junior folks. So people crave these things. Now, feedback providing absolutely can be problematic when it's not delivered effectively. When that leader makes the feedback personal, when they don't have good examples, when they don't explore, when they just make assumptions, when they blame as opposed to explore, all these things can make the feedback providing the experience really negative. But when feedback is delivered constructively, empathetically, it's extremely positive, right? It becomes a gift. It becomes something that the employee can really appreciate. So even when the feedback is difficult, when it's done well, the employee leaves that experience feeling respected and appreciated and grateful. I think that a danger, or I should say a fear, connected to getting critical feedback is that it's breaking the relationship, that I'm given this feedback and then suddenly I'm on my own. But just knowing that, okay, I have this place where I'm getting back to, where we're reconnecting again and we're following up and we're having a continuous conversation, that also really helps the feedback to land in a safe and and good place. That's well said. You're absolutely correct. So when we think about why performance appraisal systems often fail, It's because they're events, not processes. When you have this once a year package where you open it up and you provide all this extensive performance feedback, like it's just, it could be very counterproductive. But one-on-ones are just this natural mechanism where people are learning and growing throughout the time and it takes all the surprises out of the performance appraisal. One-on-ones are that energy, right? They're the mechanism to make assessments and appraisals actually effective. And the neat thing is when a manager is doing a performance appraisal, all their notes from the one-on-ones, they form the basis of it. So no one's surprised. Everyone's prepared. Everyone has the information. This more real-time feedback, this more real-time learning, again, these are all great cultural characteristics. We know that learning organization is essential to deal with crises and problems in the external environment. One-on-ones are an ex- is another expression of that learning culture. And so the more we have them, we're promoting individual learning and growth, which just 
fits beautifully into organizational learning and growth. I've been sitting down with senior leaders in, in large organizations that don't get that feedback from, for example, the CEO. The, the CEO doesn't feel like it's needed. She or he just feels like they can just come to me and talk if they have something that they want to discuss. So what are some of the reasons that you hear why leaders don't actually do this? The primary one is actually kind of what you get at. You you got kind of mentioned where they just assume that if they have an open door, it's just that people will come to them with issues and problems. They don't need to have this dedicated time. And they're partially correct, but not entirely correct. There's just something different. There's something different when a manager says to her or his people, I want to be the best manager I can be. I want you to thrive and do the best you can do. So therefore, we're going to dedicate this time weekly or every other week where we're just going to focus fully on you and we'll keep adjusting these things to make sure they meet your needs effectively. We'll keep talking about them and we'll zig and zag to make sure we realize their full potential. But this is just that opportunity where we know that we have each other and that we can focus on what's going on with you. So when you have that type of a cultural conversation, it reflects great on you. When you tell someone, I'm, I'm dedicated to your success in a genuine way, I mean, this is a great thing. Managers' reticence to do this, I think, doesn't come from a bad place. It just comes from the place that they feel they're so busy that they don't have time. But if they really analyze why they are so busy, they would realize they do have a lot of the reasons why managers are so busy is because they're constantly being in- interrupted. Something happens and there's a problem and then they have to fix it. Their team isn't well aligned. So there's a host of reasons that time is being taken from them that we can actually prevent these things from happening. So this really is one of the few activities where you take a little time, but you actually make time for it. And I lay out in the book, I have all these these various tools that allow a manager to figure out what's the right cadence for them and their people. And it it just kind of, you know, because everyone needs to find what fits for them. You know, this is why I titled the book, The Art and Science of One-on-One. So clearly the book is informed by my science, but I lay out choices for managers, but ultimately they have to pick choices that fit who they are as people and also fit their direct and the relationship with the direct. So the book tries to provide these options. It doesn't say do X, Y, Z. Now you have your magic formula because the research doesn't support that. But I just want to give managers the tools they need to be able to carry out this activity, this critical culture building activity in a way that aligns with who they are. And interestingly, you know, this is kind of a, a neat way of coming full circle is that What we know about life satisfaction, one of the best predictors of life satisfaction is helping others. And one-on-ones are also that mechanism, right? One-on-ones allow us to help others. And by helping others, we lead a more meaningful and deep life. Beautiful. That's that's a great end to this conversation. And I just want to say thank you for the work you do highlighting the importance of of meetings and, and how to do meetings better and in a way that really strengthens the the culture of the organization. And and before I, I let you go, I just wanted to ask you, what are ways that people can connect with you and follow your work? Thank you very much. So I have a very strong LinkedIn presence. You can absolutely find Steven Rogelberg on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. 
My website is stevenrogelberg.com, stevenrogelberg.com. And I have a ton of resources on there to help leaders. My contact is in for, in for there. I have no problem with someone reaching out to me if they have a question. You know, my motivation is to get the science out there. In fact, I'm so motivated by that, that I'm donating all my royalties from these books to charity. So my motivation of writing the book was to get it out, you know, get this work out there. So buy the book if you're interested in one-on-ones or buy the book if you want to help support charities. That's what's drive. That's what drove my decision to write, write the book. I totally appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. It really was an honor. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, it really means the world to us if you would share, rate, and review it on iTunes. We're super grateful for all the five-star reviews and generous comments that we've received so far. It really helps us take the message of purpose and integrity to a wider audience. And finally, don't forget to grab your free PDF on leadingtransformationalchange.com. See you in two weeks.